this was all deliberate <laughs> to demonstrate the great, wonderful, vast value of team. Actually, do you know, I was thinking about when, when, when I proposed to Angie, you know, some people got the Eiffel Tower or half in balloons and one knee and all that. I mean, I, I did it twice. Well, I don't know whether it's my shame or whatever, but um, oh, Mike, thank you. Oh, where are we gone? We've gone back there. Um, so I remember actually we, we, we were we were in London and uh, we were we went to Kensington we were at Kensington Temple at the time and I I was working for the BBC and I I, I just quit my job and I was going off to London Bible College or LST and I remember th this this is the way I proposed I I, I drove An uh, Angie home to her her flat and I said something like um, I've just quit my job um, I'm going off to to Barber College. Do you fancy an adventure? Do you want to come with me? And she kind of says, yes. I mean, that, that was the size. I mean, how unromantic can you get? You know, I've just quit my job. I, I'm on an adventure. I want to come. And she amazingly said, yes, for which I'm eternally grateful. Um, so anyway, team. Mike asked me to, to, do, to do a little series on team. Uh, just to really try and help equip us, it, it, I, I think this is this is just huge for us how we how we do church life together. Um, I started off last time uh, setting the culture, um, and really I, I made the point that as charismatics, we we, um, we we love the diversity of the gifts. We we, we want to see the re release of the gifts in the church. That's where we began our journey when we we uh, we for some of us it was sort of I don't know. 40 years ago, when we suddenly, this, this, this wonderful possibility of the body coming alive, that, uh, you know, I, I told the story last time how some of us were in full-time, we're, we're in ministry, and we were the one dude, and, and God gave me a vision of that, uh, that I was, a, I was a, a, like a life support system, and that he wanted the body to come alive, and we've lived with this, we, we're passionate about this, that the body comes alive, and we, my, I made the point last time that uh, uh, actually, the church is, is, is more like a garden to be nurtured than a business to be managed. It's, it's, it, that, this must be our philosophy. In all the ways that we... There's so many books and manuals on how to, 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 to do effective church and, and, and lots of business principles, some of which can be helpful to us, but we must never lose sight of the fact that actually there's an organic life that we are looking to nurture and, and see really... Uh, uh, flow among us um, and so e even as we especially as we grow we don't want we don't want things with the body to kind of pa be paralyzed again in bigness we want the body to be alive so we looked at that and then we we looked at the uh the the, the i can't do this sideways we we then talked about the um culture of honor uh <laughs> i'm really struggling here guys here we go. <laughs> I'll take it off there. I can't cope with that. We talked about the culture of honour. That um, this isn't going to work either. This is. I'm really struggling, guys. Can you get me another thingy to? Um, another thingy. Uh, okay, let's try again. There we go. What's happened now? There we go. This is really. Oh, we'll get there in the end. Okay, there we go. Oh. <laughs> This is hard work, isn't it? Here we go. Okay. What's happened now? It's going crazy. <laughs> right. Let's try again. Are we there? Okay. Um, 
sort of diversity of the gifts, seeing the body alive. And then I, I spoke a bit about the, the culture of honor, uh, really drawing on, on, on the guys in Bethel, this something they've really tapped into, this the, the, the honoring of, of one another, the gifts, not elevating, but honoring of gifts and how that releases the Holy Spirit among us and how that is uh, just such a, uh, it, it's, it's a vital ingredient if we want to see the Holy Spirit released among us, this honoring of one another. I recommend that book, The Culture of Honor. In fact, I've, I think I gave it my copy away last time. Can I can have it back because it's, it's gone. But... Um, um, the culture of honor, this funnel through which the Holy Spirit moves when we start to honor one another and uh, live in that dynamic where the Holy Spirit is pleased to operate. This time I want to uh, talk about leading with a light touch. Um, really, I want to talk about bat- patterns for biblical leadership, how we lead our teams. Um, I, I, I believe we want teams that are fun to belong to. Teams that are fruitful to be a part of, um, and that's very different from the sort of clinical uh, teams that are just the functional teams that are just there to get a job done. That's not our style at all. And I, 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 I want to, to start in a, with a very well-known passage in John. Um, by the way, when, when do you want me to finish, Mike? Can I? Oh, we'll be yeah, be fine. Okay, John thirteen. Let, if you turn, turn to John thirteen. Let's allow the the Holy Spirit to speak to us about this whole thing of uh, the pattern of our leadership, the way that we we lead our teams, the way that we uh, set an example to our churches. Very well-known passage in John 13, and you'll know it very, very well. Verse 1, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world... He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, taking a towel, tied it round his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share in me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head, the whole lot. Jesus said to him, the one who's been, who's been bathed doesn't need to wash except for his feet, but he's completely clean. And you are clean, not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he'd washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
I, I think as men and women passionate to see the kingdom come, we, we all want more anointing, don't we? We've just been praying about it. We want, we want more anointing on our lives. We, we know we're dependent upon the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. And I guess, you know, we often ask the question, don't we? How does that anointing work? How, how, do, how, do, how, does it, how does it flow? How does the anointing work? How can I tap into it more? Another question might be, you know, how would you use the anointing of God as and when he gives it to you? These are really important questions, aren't they? And I'm, we, we, want the, we want God to do things things through us, don't we? We're passionate about that. Well, this passage, I believe, that is so well known to us that it seems really like a nice little homily on humility. I, I want to suggest that it's far, it's far more than that. And it's actually designed to show the disciples and us how we are to use the authority and the anointing that Jesus wants us to have for the building of his church. It's as important as that. This passage is telling us how we should use, how we should operate in the anointing that Jesus wants us to have for the building of his church. Look at how this account begins in verse 3. This simple participle, knowing, knowing that the Father had given him, given all things into his hands. That's, what, that, okay, that, that's how this little story begins. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Now, the the United Bible Society's Translator's Handbook. It says this about this clause. This clause may be equivalent in some languages to he had given him strength to do anything. Okay, so let's read that back into verse, into verse 3. So Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him strength to do anything, what does he do next? You, with such authority, with such anointing, you, you might expect him to uh, defeat the devil there and then with a, with a razzmatazz, crash, bang, wallop, bang, and then Judas over there, zap, he's dealt with in, in a blow, and, you know, here we go. The kingdom begins to, to come. But instead, he washes the feet of his disciples, including the one who was about to betray him it's huge it's huge please don't please get get the full force of this knowing that all things are being given into his hands knowing that he all power was given to him he washed their feet that that's what he did with that anointing that that that's how he acted and then uh he uh, he, 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 he makes the point. He, said, do, he, he turns around, turns to them and said, do you get it? Do you get it? When he'd washed their feet and put on, the, on his garment, resumed his, his place, verse 12, he said, do you understand what I've just done? Do you get it? And I think, you know, he, he would, Jesus would say to us, have you got it? Do, do you, you, you may have heard this so many times. Have you got it? And I just, it, it just seems to me, this is, this is an apostolic mandate, isn't it, to the disciples? Do you understand what I've just done to you? Do, do you understand what I've just done? And he said, uh, you call me teacher and Lord, and that's what I am. 
And if I then, your Lord and teacher, wash your feet, then you, you do this too. I've done this an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sends him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And friends, I, I, want to say, I really want to make this point that, that above all the insights and catchphrases and slogans about leadership on offer, the latest book on successful church growth and so on, please hear the words of Jesus and model yourself on him. Do you get it? We are so quick to pick up the world's model of leadership. And Jesus, I think he would say to us, hey, do you get it? All anointing, washing feet. Do you say, I know you know this stuff, but it's so easy to, 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 get, to be driven and to be modeling a different style of leadership that elevates leadership, that, that, that uh, focuses on, 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 on leadership instead of this radical apostolic uh, mission. That, that the, the disciples were urged to, uh, to, to allow to characterize the way that they, did, that they did leadership. And I want to suggest that to, uh, for us as church leaders who are following Jesus, we must set a pattern for our churches of servant leadership that models Jesus. No matter how, whatever your situation is, whatever your church is, we are modeling something in our churches. And I, as church leaders, I want to, 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 to make a plea that we... We, we model ourselves on Jesus, holding, who hold it off, he held authority, but didn't use it to dominate other people by institutional sort of uh, uh, business mechanisms of control or whatever, or by top-down management um, that reinforced by status and all those sorts of things. Jesus did not go for that pattern. He went for the servant Pattern. And, and I feel we're wanting a very different culture in our churches to what the world has on offer. Let it be said of us that there's a, there's, a, there's a different culture among them, the way that they do leadership. A culture of honoring, a culture of encouraging and releasing gifts that Jesus gives to his church. A culture where prophecy and the voice of the Spirit is heard above the latest strategy. A culture where people, the body of Christ, are encouraged and free to experiment and step out and learn and make mistakes and then gradually grow up. Please let us have that culture in our churches because it's the family of God. It's not a business. It's not ICI. It might not always be the prettiest, but it'll be the most fruitful longer term so we want that culture where people are free and and they play their part fully in body life of the church so our leadership then needs to be visionary we don't let we, we, we're very clear on that from scripture we want our, our leadership to be visionary provoking creative initiative and then giving time and space for people to function, to step out and do stuff. So I, what I'm calling for is not passive leadership, but visionary leadership that is inspiring and encouraging and then giving time and space for people to step up and into 
what God has called them to do. Do you get, do you get what I'm saying? We want the body to be alive. Folks, that's a million miles away from top-down micromanaging that just uh, expects certain things of, of, of everybody in, in a big organization. No, 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 no. We want the body to be, to be alive. Let it, and by the way, you know, that this might seem a slower way of, of going forward. It, it, you know, where, where we, uh, we're looking to provoke and to see life and gift appear and then nurture it and, and so on and so forth. That might seem a slow way of going forward in the sense of saying, this is where we're going to go, this is how we're going to do it, and everything's defined from the top and rolled on down. It might seem slower, but it will be ultimately much more lasting and fruitful and according to the pattern that Jesus wants for us. Let me tell you a little story. Once upon a time, there was a tortoise and a hare. You know the story. And the tortoise was not the speediest thing on four legs, whatever they are, little legs. The hare was the guy with the speed, and he was pretty confident about his speed and kind of looked down on the tortoise's slowness. And he challenged him to a race. You know the story. And off went the hare, bombing along, and he was so confident in what he was doing that he thought he'd take an afternoon nap and... Uh, of course, you know, he fell asleep, and meanwhile, the plodding old hare went along, uh, tortoise, and uh, unexpectedly won the race. I read a book recently called, um, what was it called? <laughs> the Tortoise Usually Wins. And Angie, she finds all my best lines. Um, what's the moral of the story? What, well, what is the moral of the story, tortoise and hare? What is it? Sorry? Can't hear. Slow and steady wins. Okay, it's, well, it's, I think there's two things. There's a warning to the hair, isn't there? You know, be, watch out your, your confidence. Uh, speed is not always the way to, if you think you're speedy, that you, that's not always the way to win. And there's encouragement to the tortoises that first impressions can be deceiving and actually faithful moving forward often, often wins. I, I read this very interesting quote. This is from a secular uh, leader. This is from uh, a guy called Joseph um, Badarico, who's professor of, professor of business ethics at, uh, at Harvard Business School. And he wrote this. Over the course of a career spent studying management leadership, I have observed that the most effective leaders are rarely public heroes. These men and women are, are, are rarely high-profile champions. They move patiently, carefully, and incrementally. I've come to call these people quiet leaders because their modesty and restraint are in large measure responsible for their impressive achievements. And since big problems can only be resolved by a long series of small efforts, quiet leadership, despite its seemingly slow pace, often turns out to be the quickest way to make an organization and the world a better place. That's a secular perspective. It's, uh, notice that last sentence. I, I love that last sentence. Since big problems can only be resolved by a long series of small efforts, quiet leadership, despite its seeming slow pace, often turns out to be the quickest way to make an organization and the world a better place. 
And um, it, it's interesting that even in the business world now, post um, credit crunch, there's actually a category of leaders called toxic leaders. Have you come across that? That, 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 that there's this, you know, it's, it's it sort of, uh, it's a new sort of genre, toxic leaders. And they're the kind of leaders who don't leave their organization in a better place. Um, we will not may name any names here, uh, like Royal Bank of Scotland. No names at all. But, um, you know, toxic leaders are people who, they come riding on their own ego and uh, demanding that, that, that their style and their way is adhered to. And uh, they overreach themselves and then uh, actually leave the organization worse off than when they came in. Toxic leaders. And here's a guy saying, actually, do you know what? It's quiet leaders who change the world. It's quiet leaders. It's a different style of leadership. People who, who quietly, humbly, uh, by small incremental changes, bring about change that bring lasting, lasting, lasting eff efforts. You see, the true goal of leadership, it's not about us. It's not about me. It's to leave the organization, the world, in a better place, right? That, 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 that is what it is all about. And, and, and friends, you know, it, we don't want to have that worldly perspective that would uh, elevate leaders into a place of vulnerability where actually they, uh, they kind of cut themselves loose somewhat from the rest of the organization, and uh, well, that, well, to be honest, that's what most of the kings of Israel were like, wasn't it? They, 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 they were not men after God's own heart. They, they took things into their, their own hands. And so it's, it's not a biblical, certainly not a biblical perspective um, and not the perspective that God would have for us. And I'm so grateful to God that the leadership style that he prizes is that of servant leader. That's the style. That is the, the pattern that God loves. It's the pattern that Jesus modeled for us. It's the pattern that he said to his disciples, have you got it? I mean, they, uh, to some extent, I think they did get it because when they then appointed people, leaders in the church, they called them servants. Um, by the way, uh, I'm all for deacons. Please, you know, have deacons. That, yeah, very biblical. But for heaven's sake, don't call them deacons. Do you know what I'm saying here? Call them servants. Because deacon is no longer a word of servanthood. Deacon is a title now. And the whole point of calling them deacons was to get rid of titles and say they're servants. Sorry, pet little, you know. Uh, uh, so I'm all for the whole, the, whole, the, the, the servant. Uh, great, let's call people servants. But yeah, we, we did, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so this is the profile. This is the, 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 the pattern that... that I believe it's vitally important for us as we uh, for us within relational mission. Let, let, let it be said of us: there's a there's a there's a servant leadership uh, feel about the way that that, that uh, we do things. I mean, praise God for big gifts in the body of Christ, but pray for them. They're vulnerable. They're vulnerable. It, it's it, 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 see Jamie Haney, his little book on on humility. You know, he says humility and smallness is a, it's a real friend. <laughs> You'll, you'll keep out of trouble when you're in that, in that place. So it doesn't mean that we don't apply ourselves to lead. Yes, we do. There's leadership skills and gifts that we need, but there, it, it, there's a different style of leadership that we're wanting to be, to be uh, bringing out. Here, how do you like this quote from uh, Nigel Wright, former uh, principal of Spurgeon's? He said this, The best definition of leadership I have ever come across 
is that it is to do with creating the conditions within which others can thrive. Do you like that? It goes, what I particularly like about this, says Nigel Wright, is that it focuses not on the leader, but on the others whom the leader is called to serve. It takes up the servant paradigm. And I think it's great, isn't it? What a wonderful, that's a really good definition. Creating the conditions in which others can thrive. If you're a team leader, that's your mandate. That's your mandate. You want to be creating in your team conditions where others can thrive. It's not a case of you saying, I want these people to do, to do what I want them to do to get this job done. That is not biblical team leadership. That's worldly. The team's there to do your bidding. Yes, men. That's not the, the body of Christ. The body of Christ, there are God, Jesus has given gifts to his church. The gifts are there. And as a team leader, your, your responsibility is to draw those gifts out and to see them flourish and fly and play their part. That is biblical team leadership. Creating the conditions in which others can thrive. And you don't need to, this is so obviously biblical culture. I don't know why we miss it so often. You know, Isaiah 53, we know the whole thing of... Uh, 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 servanthood and so on that um, that Jesus would would have us take on board, um, and so therefore you see if you're if if you it doesn't matter if you're not leading the team because you can still play your part in the body of Christ because it's all about it's all about others it's about the whole rather than about about you. Okay, let me now take you to another metaphor. I knew we had to get a sailing somewhere. Another, it's not on the bookstore, but. Um, I want to just spend the rest of this, this, this session uh, using this, this metaphor of the helmsman as, as, a, as a, uh, a pattern for uh, l- team leadership, how you lead a team. The helmsman's the guy in the white shirt there, hand on the tiller. Can you see the tiller? Oh, by the way, tiller is um, it's, it's a wooden bit that sticks into the rudder. Yeah, all right. Got any sailors here? Norman, thank you. Uh, there we, they're having fun, those guys, aren't they? That looks like a bit of fun there. The guy in the white T-shirt. Um, and I think this is a, a really helpful picture of team leadership in the biblical sense that I'm going to spend the, this next uh, little, little while talking about. Um, actually, it is a biblical word. I discovered that helmsman is in Scripture. Does that do your heart good, Norman? It's there in Scripture. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-eight. okay. Okay, uh, it's the Kubernetes. Uh, um, it, God has appointed in the church apostles, prophets, teachers, uh, miracles, gifts of healing, helps. And then the next word, which we normally translate administrating, it's actually helmsman. That, that, that's the word there, Kubernetes, which is the one who is skilled at the helm. Um, and, and then he goes on various kinds of of tongues. It's, you've got the same word in Acts 27, 11, just to show I'm not blagging it here. Um, Paul's journey to Rome, you remember they're going to Rome, do you remember? And they're setting up across the Mediterranean as winter's approaching, and they get to Crete, and there's a storm about to blow up. Remember all that stuff? And um, it says there, the centurion paid more attention to the pilot, or the helmsman, uh, and the owner of the ship then to what Paul said, and so they went on. So there, it's a, it's a biblical word, and actually some translations have got it. The new R, the NRSV, uh, that has forms of leadership. Uh, the New Living Translation puts gifts of leadership, so they're getting the message that it's not administration, it's gift of leadership. So it's there in Scripture. Um, 
So um, it's, it's a very vivid picture because it, the helmsman, it, it, it's a wonderful thing here. The picture here is of a helmsman who's he's so a part of the crew. They're, they're so together in what they're doing that the whole, the, the whole exercise is one of, of moving together, moving as one. That's what's so lovely about this illustration. And I, I want to just step through a few implications that, that um, this has for us in, in the style of our team leadership. And the first thing, the first point I would make uh, is this, the, that the, the helmsman serves the crew, okay? The helmsman is there to serve the crew. He's not a head and shoulders man, okay? He's a shoulder to shoulder man, okay? They're in it together. The crew are not there for him. He's there for them. And Practical implications here. Let's just uh, let's just step some through some through through some things here. Servant leaders don't talk about my church, my budget, my elders, and all that sort of thing. That's far too me-centered. There needs to be common ownership in the team. There needs to be a sense of we are in this together. And the helmsman is there to draw out. I'll come to this in a moment. To draw out others, to involve others. He's not there just shouting out his commands and expecting them to be carried out, okay? Let's, let's move on. He serves the crew. The next important point, the helmsman is not necessarily the strongest or the fittest in the team, okay? And, and he's not threatened by that. I mean, he's got a winchman and things like that. You can see the guy on the winches there with a red T-shirt. He's, he, he, he's not, he doesn't have to be the most gifted person on the team. I was always impressed when I went to, to Lowestoft with, um, to, to meet with the elders there. Mike was leading the, uh, the, the team, and uh, he invariably wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't chair or lead the meeting. <laughs> he'd, he'd seen a gift in someone else in the room. You lead it. You steer it. Of course, he, he wasn't abdicating, but he was releasing. And, and uh, that, that is so... That, that, that's that's honouring. That, that, that's... I think it's something we want to, to we don't be threatened by uh, taking that kind of role. So he's not the strongest or the fittest. He knows he needs those folks in that crew. They're, they're not just rubber stamping what he's doing. You, you understand what I'm saying here? You've got to put some meat around these things. And because team, some, it's so easy as a, as a zealous team leader just to, to see, your, see your team as a, a bit of a rubber stamp to, 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 to move things along. That, that, that's not a biblical model. We, we, the, he knows he needs those other gifts there. He, they're really important. In, their contribution needs to be seen, heard, and put into effect. See, servant leaders don't find their value in leadership position. They're not threatened by the gifting of others. Because that way, then they can minister security to, to others. And, and they're not afraid of affirming others because they're secure in who they are. It's a wonderful thing on, to be on a team where someone else is more gifted than you are in certain areas. Oh, praise God, look at that. Do you know? Really, it's a wonderful thing. But so often as leaders, if, if you're insecure and you feel you've got to be the biggest and the best, you can keep people down because actually you feel threatened by their contribution. Folks, that's not a biblical pattern. Really, please guard your hearts from that. It's ugly. We don't want to get into that. We want to be secure in who we are and be excited at the other gifts that, that we see on 
team. This, this next point, I think, fits in with what Mike was saying this morning. This is really, really, really important about the way we lead our teams. The helmsman, he is alert, he's watching, and he's poised. He's not running around the boat like a loony trying to do everything. It's, in fact, it's really important that he doesn't do that because you have to let go of the tiller, and that's really not a good move. He's not run, just please get this, apply it into your situation. He's not running about interfering with the, the bow, with the guy on the, on the, on the jib or the, or the mainsail or the, or the winch. He's, he's, he, please get it. He's, he's alert, watching and poised. He's looking for the others. He carries the responsibility for his team. Constantly alert and anticipating and poised. It's interesting, this word being uh, watching over, Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leader, submit to them, they keep watch over you. That, that word actually means to, to lie awake. <laughs> and, yeah. So if you're lying awake at night, actually it's fairly biblical, but, um, <laughs> lying awake at night, that's, that's what the word is, to, be, to, sleep, to pass a sleepless night, and therefore it means, it's a metaphor for being watchful. Um, and and that's, sometimes it's like that, you're so burdened for, for those in your church and on your team that you you are thinking of watching for them. You're not just thinking of the vision and the goal. You're thinking of the people. Do you get it? It's a big difference. If you're just thinking of the numbers and the figures and, and the end result, you, that you're, 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 you're being watchful for those things. The, the helmsman is watching for his crew. He's seeing where they, how they're doing, how they're operating, and so on, what sort of situation they're in. And that's, that's, as a team leader, that's your calling, to be, to be alert and watching for your team. It's not just all about getting results. It's about your team functioning really, really well. Okay? And this whole... I, 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 I'm going to go off on a few things here. Um, it, it's so important in a crew that there's, 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 there's combined ownership of what you're doing. And, and in a team, it's so important. That, how do you get ownership within a team? Well, there's several ways you, you, you do that. Uh, by involving your team members in decisions. So you don't go to a meeting with everything, all the decisions made. Obviously, there's some, there's some, there's some vision that you bring into that meeting. But you, you leave space for people to make contribution to where you're going. Does that make sense? Because if people make contribution to where they're going, they're buying in. They're going to be owning the vision far more. Does that make sense? So don't go with everything sorted out, and this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do. People won't, will just sit there passively. They won't buy in. Okay? We want to give authority to team members. So you want to, we, in a crew, give authority to those that are responsible for the different sales and, and for the different, different jobs on the, in the team. Give them authority and leave it with them. Many of you know... Um, well, Ray Lowe used to come to Norwich quite a lot, and he, he uh, it became a standing joke. He used to tell me off. I, I used to always fiddle around with chairs on a, sun, on a Sunday morning. I used to go and fiddle with chairs. Uh, anyone else got that problem? They just can't help fiddling with chairs. <laughs> you know, but it's a great illustration. You know, uh, even better illustration is this one. I, I learned a powerful lesson through... Uh, it, it back home in, in fam- with our family. Uh, Steve, our son, many years ago, he said he'd cut the grass. Okay. I mean, I think he was a teenager. Ooh, right, cut the grass. So he cut the grass. And this is a painful illustration. Uh, do you know what I did? When he'd finished, he'd left a bit over there and a bit over there. I took the mower out and did it again. He never, ever offered to cut the grass again. 
Folks, please hear it. When you, when you start interfering because you think it's your leadership responsibility, stop it. Stop it. You'll demotivate. If you've given authority to your welcome team to do certain things, then please go through the right channels if you see it needs adjustment. Don't just barge in and demotivate by just doing it yourself. Do you get it? It's really not helpful. You want ownership. You want people to be, yeah, we're in this together, yeah. If, they, if he lets go of the tiller and starts running around like a twit, he's going to not just damn, you know, uh, cause a problem with where the boat's going, but he's going to actually demotivate his crew and get them fed up. I've done it. I bet you do it. Stop it. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it, it might seem quicker to do it yourself, but it doesn't allow the body to grow and, and so on. We need to draw out, let people have their contribution. It might take longer. I, I remember, I, I, come on, I'll keep going. I remember another time I, um, I felt it was, I really, really felt wanted to do Sunday night, a Sunday evening meeting at King's. And I went to the two eldership team, and I yeah, I was really bring both the sites together once a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really strong about this Sunday evening meeting. And uh, some other people on the team um, who were in the room uh, just sort of <laughs> just challenged this a bit, you know. And, and I remember at the time thinking a little bit, hmm. And, and um, <laughs> because I'd, I'd, I was really kind of excited. I still need to be excited, don't we? And... And you know, that was an important moment. I could have pushed at that point. Got put, and, you, you know, you, I could have pushed at that point. But I didn't. Uh, I managed to bite my tongue and, and we had more discussions. And actually, we ended up with a different, a whole different deal. We had a, actually, there was, a, a, we have got this Sunday evening deal. It's, it's, it's for 20s and 30s. Um, something far more fruitful and special came out of that because I, did, I, I didn't push my way through. I, 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 I recognized the value of team and the dynamic of the Holy Spirit and the different gifts in the team, and I listened, and we came out with a better result because of it. Does that make sense? And sometimes in our impatience, we, we, we see, I saw something. I, I really saw something, but I... I, 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 I also recognise the value of the team and the contribution. And at first it was a bit, blow, you know, I really feel this strongly. But it, it, in recognising the gifts in the team, in the room, and the importance of the body and joint ownership, if I'd, if I'd pushed, what would have happened? If I'd pushed and said, right, we're just going to do this, guys, what would have happened? Well, I think the rest of the team would have been a bit demotivated because... I hadn't involved them, I was just pushing. And actually, it wouldn't have been as fruitful as it is now because I hadn't got it quite right. I needed the adjustment. Do you hear me? Please get it. Don't, please, really, it's just, this whole team thing is so very, very important. Uh, watching poised. Um, oh, I could go on for ages on this one. Um, uh, it's... What, you're watching not just where you're going, you're watching the team. And I want to suggest that you, as a team leader, be watching for your team. How is it going for those that you're leading in your team? How is it for them? Are they doing better under your leadership than without it? What's their home life like because they're on your team? What's their marriage like 
because they're on your team. Do you see what I'm saying? You'd be watching for them because we're in this together and it's going to affect how you do your job, how things are with you. And, and as, as team leaders, we're watching. We're not just looking for the numbers and the end result. We're watching for our team to see the gifts flourishing and working well and being nurtured and so on. And so as you're watching, how is it with our team? How is it in their lives? How are they doing? Are they encouraged or are they discouraged? Do, do you get what I'm saying? Poised, watching for, we should be watching for the health and safety of our crew. We're preoccupied with those in our team. Great quote here from... Um, Eugene Peterson, you all know that Eugene Peterson is not just renowned for the, the message, which is a great, I often use a message, but he's written quite a few books. Now, they're, uh, they're really helpful. They're slightly from a North American pastor perspective, but they're really, really good. I was thinking of this quote this morning when Mike was speaking about being watchful and poised. It's, a, it's, it's called The Poised Harpooner. Listen up on this. It, re, it really, changing the metaphor slightly from the helmsman to the harpooner, but it works. Listen. This is quoting Eugene Peterson. In Herman Melville's Moby Dick, there's a turbulent scene in which a whale boat scuds across a frothing ocean in pursuit of the great white whale, Moby Dick. The sailors are laboring fiercely, every muscle taut, all attention and energy concentrated on the task. The cosmic conflict between good and evil is joined. Chaotic sea and demonic sea monster versus the morally outraged man, Captain Ahab. In his, this boat, however... There's one man who does nothing. He doesn't hold an oar. He doesn't perspire. He doesn't shout. He's languid in the crash and the cursing. This man is the harpooner, quiet and poised, waiting. And then this sentence. To ensure the greatest efficiency in the dart... The harpooners of this world must start to their feet out of idleness and not out of toil. Melville's sentence is a text to set alongside the psalmist, be still and know that I'm God. Alongside Isaiah's, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Pastors know there is something radically wrong with the world. We are also engaged in doing something about it. In such a world, noise is inevitable and immense energy is expanded. But if there is no harpooner in the boat, there will be no proper finish to the chase. Or if the harpooner is exhausted, having abandoned his assignment and become an oarsman, he will not be ready and accurate when it is time to throw his javelin. Powerful, isn't it? Thinking of what Mike was saying this morning. As team leaders, as church leaders, please don't be running around the boat doing all the stuff. Please delegate. Let the gifts free. Be poised. That's, that, 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 I mean, you, 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 you know that it's, it, you know it's right. I mean, that's what the, 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 the apostles decided. We're going to give ourselves to the word. We're going to be poised harpooners. We're not just going to get get caught up in that uh, running around micromanaging everyone and interfering here or interfering there no 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 we're going to be men of vision but we're going to be poised harpooners we're going to be those who are hearing what God's saying and they're watching for the crew and they're watching for the fruit of the crew and they are going to be much more accurate 
in what they are doing. So do you watch your team? Do you pray for your team? Uh, What's your demeanor? Is it one of, do you bring confidence and affirmation or do you bring chaos and interference? One more, I think, or maybe it's two. This is where I started out, really. The helmsman has a light touch on the tiller. And I'm going to quote from my other Bible here, the um, sailing handbook. Um, because those of you who are into sailing, you know that actually the task, if, you, if, the, if, if, the, if, the, if the boat is sailing well, you don't need much pressure on the tiller. In fact, the whole purpose of setting up the boat correctly is that you have what they call a, a balanced helm. That, that's what you're aiming for. And I quote from the Bible from chapter 32, verse 99. Balancing, balanced sails and helm. Here we go. With perfectly balanced sails, the boat will sail straight ahead with a neutral or balanced helm. If the sails are out of balance with too much drive from the mainsail, the boat will turn towards the wind. This is called a weather helm. If the sails are out of balance with too much drive from the jib, the boat will turn away from the wind with a lee helm. So the idea here is that actually in sailing, it works best if you're not yanking that tiller about all the time. In fact, if you do yank that tiller around all the time without warning everybody else and getting their their coordination and and, uh, involvement, you will actually put the whole craft in jeopardy. You you might capsize it. If you suddenly push the tiller to go around and no one's moving the sails, you're in a perilous place. Folks, that, that, that works. Bring that metaphor back into our, into our leadership teams. If you start changing direction all the time, if you're always changing direction and you're not taking people with you, the church just gets very insecure and wobbly and doesn't work very well. The best way to sail a boat, actually, although they're having, we all love to have fun and hang out over the sides at times. That's great. But actually, the, the, a boat goes best when it's level and, and the balance, the sail is well balanced. That, that's, that's the best, that's the, you make the most progress that way. And uh, with a balanced helm. And when you do want to make a turn, you want everyone doing it together. So I know we have funny language, you know, ready about Lee, ho, you know that stuff. We, we, we have a language about it. But the point is, ready, we all move together. And so moving at the change of direction, it doesn't just involve me with my hand on the tiller. It involves everyone moving at the same time. And so I, you, you prepare for that moment, and you prepare the people for that moment. You prepare your team for that moment, so you do it all together. So as soon as you say, ready, oh, silly language. As soon as you go about... It works because it's all, we're all in this together. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's a light touch on the tiller. Some leaders just seem to love pushing the tiller around with changes of direction all the time. And actually, it's not, it's not effective. It doesn't carry you forward well. And so a good team leader, he, 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 he wants his team to be, to be as one, moving together. And it might take a bit longer. I think this is where we often go wrong as visionary leaders. We're so, like I could have done with that Sunday evening deal. You want to do it now. You want to get there now. But if we're not moving together, actually, you can throw the boat into a bit of a wobble and it's, it's not very smart. Whereas if you take a bit more time and get everyone on board and engage with what you're about to do, folks, it's far more effective. Please, as visionary, passionate leaders, can I urge you to uh, 
to make sure you're taking the whole crew with you, that you're moving as one. Does that make sense? Do you understand? Please, the, the skills of being a team leader, it's, yeah, blah, 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 blah. I hope you get that point. A light hand on the tiller. Um, yeah, quiet leaders. The, that, back to that quote with, with Joseph uh, Barricado. They move patiently, carefully, and incrementally. incrementally. I've come to call these, these people quiet leaders because of their modesty and restraint are in a measure responsible for their impressive, impressive achievements. Since big problems can only be resolved by a long series of small efforts, quiet leadership, despite its seemingly slow pace, often turns out to be the quickest way to make an organization or the world a better place. Okay, nearly there. So in all this, communication is vital. I could say so much about communication. You all know that just because you've sent an email doesn't mean you've communicated. You know that, don't you? In fact, you want, I, would, I want to say this. You want more than communication in a team. You want rapport. Yeah? Uh, I looked up a definition of the word rapport. It says this. A close and harmonious relationship in which the people or groups concerned understand each other's feelings and ideas and communicate well verbally and non-verbally. Do you know, that's so important. A good crew, it, a look, a, a glance, and you know where people are at. Do you understand? On a team, we want rapport. Do you really know what, your t- what the other members of your team are feeling and thinking? Yeah? It's so important. We want great communication. And uh, I remember one guy on our, on our airship team who in full-time uh, second point. I remember I, I sat down at one point and said, look, um, what's the, please, let's talk about this. Help me. I want to communicate really, really well with you. What works best for you? Um, uh, and we talked through, you know, is it emails, is it text, and all this sort of thing. We worked out a way that, on a weekly basis, I would communicate in a way that would really help him. And, folks, I, I, I know you know this stuff, but it's so important. You need to understand how people like to communicate. Some people are great with emails. Other people hate them. Some people are good with texts. Some people, it's Facebook. It, 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 not, who said Facebook grief? No, 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 no. Um, do, do, But folks, we want to communicate well with our team. Don't, please don't just think because you sent an email you communicated. You don't know their response. What did they feel like when they got that? What was their, have, have they even got it? Have they read it? Have they responded? We want more than that. We want a rapport of brothers and friends in our teams who uh, are genuinely on the journey together. That's what the helmsman needs. He wants a rapport. The boat's going to be, it's going to be working so much better where there is strong rapport. Um, um, so a few questions. Does your team move as one or is everyone trying to catch up with you? How are those doing on your team? Do you really know? When did you last ask them? Are their families doing well? What's the price tag for being on your team? And then perhaps lastly, uh, success and pain in the crew. Folks, the, the, we, we, it's, it's scriptural, isn't it? We, 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 we share everything that's going on across the team. Just, we, have, we, we care enough about one another if something's going on in, in someone's life on the team, that matters for all of us. Yeah? It's not excluded from the meeting because it's not on the agenda. It's, we, we, we celebrate our successes and our 
challenges together. Um, I was, do you know, I think to be honest, I think I, 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 D- Daniel Goodman's not, not, not here today, but I, I love, he's done something really smart in uh, their church in Cambridge. They've, they've built a lovely new lounge at the back of the, their auditorium, and it's, they use it on Sundays for, uh, I think, for, for mums with, 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 with babies and so, and so on. It's, it's a really, really nice lounge, and they use it during the week for other things. And on the, all around, on the wall, all around the wall, there are really nicely framed pictures of events and things that they've done together as a church family. And, of course, Daniel's into sort of uh, graphics, and he did all these great thick graphics. And, and there they all are, these really nice, are they, I think they're white frames, A3 size, quite close together, all around the wall. And I thought, wow, you're celebrating your successes. That's really so good. We're so quick to rush on to the next thing, aren't we? You know, that what, what you did last term that was awesome, everyone put their life and soul into, you've forgotten about it by this term. I said, no, no, hang on, let's, let's celebrate what we're doing together as a team. Let's, do, do you see, it's like having a, a trophy cabinet. Every team, you, know, you want your trophy cabinet. I, I, thought, I, I, thought, I said to Daniel, smart move, smart move, because it was very attractive, but also just people could walk in there and I think, I was part of that team, yeah, that was really, that was a good event. That Smart move. Uh, sharing the success and the pain together. Celebrate what you want to replicate. We so often celebrate when people give up something. This person's led a small group for 10 years. Ray, they've given up now. I'll give me a box of chocolates. Ray. That's stupid. They just stop doing it. They just, you're, you're celebrating giving up. <laughs> Far better. Hey, this person, they've... They've, they've just completed their first year leading a home group. Ray, Give them a box of chocolates. Woo, okay. Celebrate what you want to replicate. Okay. Um, that was by the by. So, folks, the helmsman leading with a light touch. I, I feel there's great pressure on team leaders today to, to, to be the big man, to be the big gift, to, uh, uh, to be elevated, the, and, uh, and all the rest of it. And I, I just want to plead with us to hear afresh the words of Jesus when he washed feet and he would look us in the eye and say do you know what I've just done please do you see what I've just done you call me teacher and that's what I am but I also serve you and I think Jesus took a lot of time thinking and praying for his disciples I think he cared about their home life and Peter's mother-in-law being sick. He cared about them and he prayed for them. In fact, he, he focused on them more than the mission of the nations because he knew that it was through them that the mission of the nations would be fulfilled. And for you and your team, please love your team. They're not, you're there for them. Create that environment where they can flourish and fly. And the church can be grown. It may sometimes seem a slower way of moving forward, but it's God's way. And it's ultimately much more fruitful. A quote in finishing from Wayne Cordero. Where's Wayne Cordero? Would he step up, please? Oh, he's there. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> By the way, if I don't stay tonight too late for beers and crisps, it's my anniversary. We're going to... Okay. <laughs> Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm so sorry. 
In doing church as team, leaders live to make other team men, members successful, not vice versa. Let me read that again. In doing church as a team, leaders live to make other team members successful, not vice versa. If each member of the team feels cared for and fulfilled, then the whole ministry benefits. If they succeed, then the whole church gets help. Each leader must cultivate a selfless spirit Without a gaping need for credit, we release the sweet aroma of life when we live for one another rather than for ourselves. I think that is exactly what Jesus meant when he said that whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. 